About 12 years ago, I was working two jobs while a full-time college student paying my own way. Around the same time, I ended up in conversation with one of my best friend's moms. She was asking about school and work and whatnot. Uh, soon, though, we landed on the topic of careers because she could tell I was very not happy <laughs> with where I was. And then she hit me with a quote that changed my perspective on things. Your generation looks at my generation and thinks we always knew what we wanted to do. The truth is, Steve, most of us just back into our careers. Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast, where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and today's episode is about finding meaningful work and the redefining that happens along the way. Sarah Sloyan is a wife, mother of three, the Senior Vice President of Entree Leadership, and my guest today. Sarah's the type of person that you would love to hang out with. You're going to hear this in the conversation over and over again, but she's also the person that you know would give it to you straight because she actually cares about you. She's tremendously successful, so fun to talk with, we laughed a bunch, and there's a surprise in this episode, but before I ruin it and tell you that Patrick joins the conversation, let's just jump right in to Sarah talking about her progression at Entree Leadership. I actually graduated with a major in speech and hearing sciences, and I have a minor in Spanish. And right after college, I started as an admin at a Westin resort. So obviously, like nothing to do with my degrees, (laughs) which is probably like most of us in America. Um, And so I first started by working my way up at that Western resort. I started as an admin, did that for a year, um, changed over to a catering manager for three years, then moved over back over into sales as a sales advisor. And what's crazy is that's where I came into contact with Ramsey Solutions is these guys were actually my client and worked with them. I'm a very relational person. So even after we had their event, stayed in touch, and they asked if I would consider coming out and working for them. I don't know if you know this. I grew up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, but I went to college out in Tucson, Arizona. So that's how I ended up out there and had been wanting to get back to the Southeast to be closer to family. Um, But at this time, I was married. We had an almost two-year-old. The market, this was back when the market was really down. um, So it wasn't great timing. But I remember after having these conversations with them, telling my husband, I just feel like nowhere else would help me grow personally, professionally, and spiritually like this company. Like I just have this feeling. And I loved my job and I loved the folks I got to work with, but I just felt like this is different. Um, So we made the leap. Louis had literally never been to Nashville. So God bless him. He uh, trusted me and was excited about this adventure. And so we moved and that was over eight, I guess about eight and a half years ago. And I started as a sales advisor as a company at that time, there were 300 team members and on Entree Leadership specifically, there were seven of us and three of us were salespeople. And now as a company, there's a thousand people and on Entree, there's over 60. And so the last eight and a half years have been so crazy. So I started as a sales advisor, completely commission-based, which was terrifying to me. I'd never done that before. Man, talk about like betting on yourself. So did it, um, really enjoyed it. And we were getting big enough where we needed a director of sales. So I moved into that role and that's where I started leading people. 
I'd never done that before. Started exercising these muscles. I'm a high S on the disc, if you're familiar with the disc. Mm-hmm. So I like stability. I don't like conflict. I want us all to be in harmony and get along. And you know how it is. You lead people and there is conflict and you have to find those problems early and explode them, not wait for them to come to a head. And so I had to start exercising these muscles that I had never had to use before. And then I moved into a vice president seat for Entree, I don't know, a couple years after that. And a year after that, I moved into a senior vice president seat, which just means for our company. So there's about 17 people on the board. And then under them, there's about eight of us that are senior leaders. And that's where you start really looking more globally. So you still have your day job. So I run Entree Leadership. And then in addition to that, I sit on HR committee, contribute to our leadership development committee, and you just start working globally in addition to your day job. And again, it just, the the vision that you have to have, the perspective, dealing with um, people issues that are at a lot different level than I was. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of how I've progressed. And in hindsight, it's been amazing to look back and just kind of see how all those things have worked together and the skills that I foundationally learned in some of those earlier positions that have served me so well, even though at the time I didn't see it. It's been quite a trip. Louis, is that your husband? Mm-hmm. Okay. How did he respond? Before we jump into anything else, I'm really intrigued to know about how he responded to you taking a full commission position. Well, what you have to know about my husband is one, that he's a saint, and two, that he's really even keel. Okay, all right. <laughs> so he's a civil engineer, if that helps you like get that mm-hmm. you know persona in your mind. He's super even keel, and I think he's just in it to win it with me. Like He trusts my judgment, and I trust him. And I think we also knew, like, okay, so worst case – this doesn't work out and we figure it out, you know? So we just, we've always tried to make really wise decisions with our money too, so that we never feel like we have to panic if something goes funny. Um, so we just, luckily we had the savings and we said, we're going to, we're going to do this thing. And if it feels like it's not working out, you know, if we look up six months in and we're like, okay, this was not what we thought it would be, then we will, make a shift. And th- this is the other thing, Steve, I am not too proud to go work at Target. So like, yeah. I'll do it. I'll, I'll work at Target. He'd work at Home Depot. We had a um, period during the recession where back in 07, 08, where he was laid off for three months. And so we have been through, we had been through some of that real hard conversations where it's like, okay, so we're going to look for a job for this amount of time. And if it doesn't pan out by here, we're going to start working at Home Depot. And like, we just are very practical and not too proud to like sell a bunch of stuff and live on little, you know. But also um, not entirely risk averse based on your personality wanting stability and desiring that, but then taking a, a role that where there is a lot of risk in sales and betting on yourself, like you said, but having the support of a husband who's even keel and obviously a drive for um, wanting to be at, at Ramsey and see success. So there's a lot, there's a lot to your story. Oh my gosh. Well, and what I didn't tell you, Steve, this is the funniest part. Okay. So we had been trying to have our second baby and we, our house in Tucson, the housing market was still terrible. So we knew we were gonna have to rent that house out. So it's like right before Thanksgiving, I move here, I start work. And that Friday it was right before Thanksgiving and he and Madison were flying to see me. 
Well, I was like, man, I feel kind of emotional. I don't know what's going on. And I was pregnant. I found out the Friday I started, like that week I started. So I was like, we're having our second baby. We're trying to rent out our house. And again, like in hindsight, it's all great. But at the time I was like, this is bananas. Right, right, right. <laughs> Make or break, which is awesome. Yes. We, well, and what helps is Nashville has an incredible growing market. You know, everybody's well aware of that. So what's cool is in Tucson, nobody was building because the market there was still terrible um, commercially and residentially. It was just nothing was happening. But in Nashville, there's a massive demand for what Louis does, civil engineering. So I think that created some stability for us. We had our savings. We had a budget where if like we had to live on just one salary, we could do that. Um, So we, we tried to kind of like be wise and not go full on crazy risk, throw it to the wind, you know? This is Patrick, Sarah. I'm the president of the Sarah Sloan Club, <laughs> and I'm really, I'm really nervous about being How on this podcast with you. I thought it was just me and her. How did I-, <laughs> I know. I was scared to jump in there, but I've been waiting for my moment, and I, I went for it. So it's so nice to meet you. I'm not. I'm, I really am your number one fan. Okay, so back to my question. So he, here, here's what I would like to know. Um, with your position at Entree Leadership and working with your staff and working with so many SMBs, the year 2020 for me personally was like a roller coaster. And I'm sure a lot of business leaders feel that way too. And, and people just in their personal lives where, you know, you, at Six Flags, which is not far from us, you go up to the, the very top and it's scary as you're getting up to there. And then all of a sudden you drop and your eyes are closed and you're tense. But then as you start getting over that first drop, you start to realize it's not that bad. And that actually, by the end of the year, we were actually okay with the ride. But in the beginning, it was terrifying. So that's my illustration of what I thought of 2020 when the COVID pandemic hit. Oh my gosh, I was scared out of my mind. What did you feel that other businesses were experiencing? And how did your team help them through that? I really think most people fell into three main categories. The first category is we had some clients who it went unexpectedly zoom, zoom. And honestly, you guys know the success can sometimes kill a business. You know, if you can't staff to handle it, if you don't have a plan, if you don't manage it well, um, that can really get out of control and actually be detrimental. So we we had a, a percentage of businesses that, you know, think about plexiglass manufacturers, like holy moly, all of a sudden when things opened back up everywhere you went in Target and everywhere else, it had these plexiglass between you and the the cashier. So there was a percentage of our businesses that went Zoom, Zoom. We had some commercial cleaning companies, that kind of thing. Then on the opposite end of the spectrum, we had people who obviously were really hurting. Maybe they ran restaurants or whatever. And it was really, they were struggling to keep their doors open and they were trying to decide how they managed their money and how were they supporting their people so that they could keep the business open and employ those people when things open back up? Can they afford to pay people while they're closed? We didn't know how long this would last. So there was that end. And then I would say a majority of our people fell in the middle. And it was kind of a wait and see. So they experienced some negative impacts of COVID. But to your point, it was probably more fear of what could be or what could be coming or what this could accumulate to add up to. And I would say a majority of our businesses really fell into that center part where it's like they were really in a wait and see pattern. They weren't necessarily feeling like they were going to have to shut their doors tomorrow. Um, And so we were really working with the whole spectrum and trying to meet people where they were at. 
The other thing that was really interesting is there was so much content going out about coronavirus at a certain point. So in the beginning, everybody was just kind of shocked, right? And a couple of weeks in, it was like everyone was everyone was talking about coronavirus and the impacts on business and all this stuff. So you got to a certain point where you were a couple months in it, everybody was kind of sick of it. They were flooded with this information. So we were constantly monitoring and keeping our pulse on how our clients were doing so that we could give them tactical, practical advice to help them maintain through this pandemic. Maybe I'm naive, but back in March when this all started, I thought by May we'd be fine. And so I think we've all been a little surprised at how long this has dragged out. That is exactly where I'm at um, when you were talking about that. I thought it was going to be over too really quickly. So here we are 10 months later. And that's the question that I next have is what advice are you giving to as this isn't, we're not sure when it's going to come to an end. And I've heard things of it could be in you know summer. I've also heard it could be years before we really get back to where we were and maybe not even at all. But what would you say to the leaders out there now that it's been 10 months, we've overcome a lot. What would you say you need to double down on right now as a leader, as you're going into, as we already are into 2021, but what's going to get them through this next year, would you say? Yeah, I would double down on your vision and then your plan to get there is what you're going to need to tweak. So I would take a step back. I would look at your vision and I would recommit to that vision. Where do you want to go? Whether that's in the next year, whether that's in the next three years, five years, whatever time frame you're looking at, what is your vision for that period? Where are you going? And and kind of get yourself up out of all this tactical crap that we've all been dealing with over the last 10 months and get your eye on the prize again. And then I would take a look at that plan to get there. So this has really changed our approach to how we're going to get to where we're wanting to go, right? Like it has introduced all kinds of new elements that we did not even dream of prior. So now you've got to sit down and look at that plan and go, is this plan still going to get me to the vision that I have? Or do I need to make some major strategy changes or tactical changes based on this new information? I always tell my team, I reserve the right to get smarter as we go. And so now we've all got to kind of get real with ourselves and talk about, we got to get our eyes up. We got to get out of the tactical ditch and we've got to look at our plan and say, is this enough to get me where I want to go? I love that. I love that because in so many ways people do get stuck like, oh, I got through 2020, but now there's nothing left, but you can't quit. Like we still have to find new ways to keep going. Um, I thought that was awesome uh, in the sense of vision is key for any leader out there. I 100% agree. And I didn't understand the importance of it when I first took my role uh, on as being a leader. I didn't realize what how important that was for my team and for myself. Um, but you know, you don't just get in the car and just drive typically somewhere. You have a vision of where you're going and when you want to arrive there. Um, and that's what we got to do in business too, regardless if it's about COVID or if it's about how to overcome your other hurdles, uh, whether it's with competition or your marketing changes, is your marketing working? You've got to have vision and strategy. Otherwise, you are just relying on hope and that never works out for anybody. So I love your answer. It's great. Well, and you're the only one who's getting out of bed and able to think about vision. Everybody else on your team, that's not their job. That's not what they're eating, breathing, and sleeping. You're the only person who can do that. So if you're not doing that, then your business isn't going anywhere. I thought Steve would do that for me. He he, <laughs> correct, he, he corrected me on that when I was like, hey, you're the visionary guy. And he's like, nope, that's not my title. Nope. So uh, it's a good point, though. I believe you're right. in you, Patrick. I believe in you. <laughs> Again, I am the president of the Sarah Sloan Club, fan club. If anybody would like to join, it is a very exclusive club. We'll put it in the show notes or something. Thank you, Steve. Uh, so 
Sarah, I'd, I'd like to come back to uh, unpacking a little bit more specifically about you, if that's okay. But since we're all friends, I'd love to hear about a little bit more of the hard stuff. If you could just hit us with it, I would love that. What has been the most challenging aspect of leadership for you? You know, is there any story that comes to mind that caused you to question if you could keep, if you could keep going or if you should keep going? And so what would you say to that? What would you say is the most challenging aspect of leadership for you and any stories that, that color that in for us? I'm a mom of three. So my oldest is 10, my middle is seven, and my youngest is four. And I was telling Patrick um, when we were just chatting earlier, I always thought I'd be a stay-at-home mom. I don't know why I thought that. My mom's not a stay-at-home mom. Um, my grandmothers were not stay-at-home moms. I don't know. I just always thought I'd be a stay-at-home mom. And I think it has been such an adjustment for me to be a working mom. Like, do you ever have a dream? And even though as you get older, you no longer want that thing, but it's still an adjustment to not follow through with that. Does that make any sense? Yep. Yep. So in my mind, I was always going to be a mom and um, have four kids. And I think that as I have grown in my career, I've felt super fulfilled. And I feel like there's a lot of things that my kids have benefited from getting to have a mom who is plugged in to working in this way. And that's not for everybody. And that's absolutely okay. We're not all called to do the same thing. Um, but for me personally, I have felt really called to do this. And I think work-life balance has honestly been probably one of the hardest things, being present where I'm at. I think we all are juggling this. We're all very busy. It's a common theme that we heard throughout all of coronavirus. One of the things that people have enjoyed about coronavirus is it forces you to slow down. You don't have as much FOMO, not as much as going on. And I think we all feel like we are one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. And so I got into a really unhealthy season where – do you ever tell yourself like, oh, I'm just going to jump on and catch up on a few emails in the evening? Well, I would go home. I would um, eat dinner with the family. We'd put the kids to bed. And then I'd tell my husband, hey, I'm just going to catch up on a few emails. And then, Steve, that turned into three years of every night doing emails for hours. Oh, yeah. And you and you start at like eight and you think, oh, I'm just going to do this for a quick like 15 mm -hmm. minutes. And then all of a sudden it's 11 o'clock at night and I don't know what happened. And so I was getting really um, just burnt out, I guess. Maybe that's a really like um, overused word, but I was just not feeling good. And I realized like, okay, it's not a season if you're doing this for three years, okay? And so I that is the struggle that I feel like I – have to really check myself on. I always joke, I love what we do so much that if I had a hobby, it would be this. Like I work here and I would do this as a hobby. I just love it. Which makes it so much more difficult. I've said similar things to my wife, uh, Beth, because I enjoy what I do. And it's about so much more than just uh, help desk or computers or leadership. There's people involved, but time just is like water in your hands and it just keeps going um, you know, slipping through the cracks if you're not careful and directing right. it where it goes. Is there anything that you would point to? Because uh, there's people that will listen to this that will identify with the rhythm of life, the balance of life, the work-life balance, and the struggle. Not that you have a magic uh, serum for this, but is there anything you would point to that has helped along the way to navigate that? Well, um, if I'm being honest, what happened was it kind of came to a head. We were on vacation at the beach, and I was basically 
working remotely is kind of what was happening. And I was so mad at myself because I really wanted to have this time with my family. And we hit the end of that week and I got really upset just because I wasn't ready to go back because I had never taken my vacation. And I just really got emotional and realized, okay, if this is what life is going to be, like if I want to continue to grow my career and work and pour into my family and be the mom and the wife that I want to be, then I have to have a sanity plan. And so I literally, I pulled out my phone. I opened a notes document. It was nothing fancy. I titled it my sanity plan. Mm -hmm. And I just started writing down, you know, that old analogy that talks about um, your time as a jar, right? And if you put the big rocks into the jar first, which are like the things that you are most important to you that you have to do no matter what, then you put in the medium-sized rocks, then you put in the smaller rocks and the sand. If you put the sand in first, then there's no room for those big rocks. And so I really, my sanity plan was my attempt to say, no matter what, I wanna be home for dinner with my family most nights of the week. I want to make sure I don't miss, for example, soccer games. I want to have, you know, an every other week date night with my husband. It was my chance to kind of put down what are the things that I feel like have to be true for me to continue to stay sane. And then, Steve, I put in some things that probably, like if I wasn't at that place and doing this intentionally, I would be like, oh, I can't afford to do that with my time. But I put down stuff that just makes me feel like me, you know, get a massage once a month or whatever, you know, like. If I'm just in the go, I'd be like, oh, I don't have time to get a massage or that's selfish or I can't spend the money. But when I look at the whole perspective of my life, if I don't do those things, I'm going to get to this place all the time and I'm not going to be any good for my family or for my team that I lead. Sarah, this is again, Patrick. And I just want to say, I say this phrase all the time. You're normal because it makes me feel normal by telling you that because <laughs> I, I, I've been there myself so many times. And I think most leaders do. Um, I know Steve and I have had moments where he's like, Patrick, if this is what winning feels like, but I don't have a balance to my life, man, this, this isn't what I expected winning to feel like to really be. And it makes you kind of wonder, how do you find that balance between work and life? And I'm a night owl. So I do the same schedule as you. Um, and I, I tend to email everyone in the middle of the night and, uh, and you know, they get their nice wake up gift from me. However, I've realized I've got to be able to shut things down. If I don't, it's not healthy for them and it's not healthy for me too. And you do have to take care of yourself. Um, and we were talking about that earlier. Otherwise, what can you give if you don't have enough inside your tank to give to others? So I do have a question about, in general, about working forward and finding a way in leadership. It's not something that everyone just is born with. You guys talk about that at Dave Ramsey's all the time. You're not born with this gift to understand uh, how do you keep going. So my question, I guess, would be as you're moving forward in leadership, now that you've done this for a while, what are some of the greatest lessons that you have learned as a leader that you would pour into the future leaders rising up? The thing that comes to mind for me is a little bit of a reference of what we were talking about earlier. Like if it comes down to three main things in leadership, it's that you have to have vision, but you also have to have a balance of results and relationships. 
And so when I'm coaching leaders here or out in the world, it's usually we have a tendency to lean one way or the other. So we're either awesome at getting results, but we leave a lot of dead bodies in our wake, or we're amazing at relationships. And on the results side, we tend to be a little soft. And I think that really, there's so many things you can focus on as a leader. You can get overwhelmed. There's so many qualities and characteristics and things to work on and gap areas and tactical skills you have to learn. But I think if I can really give myself focus. It's like if I can excel at having a vision and creating results, and then most importantly, if I can remember that we're all humans, the best part of me is bringing all these people along with me, pointing them towards the vision I'm creating and the results I want to create. That's when it all starts to hum. And so that helps me as a leader. And that's what I would recommend to others is like, if you're really going to hone in on three key things to focus on as a leader is that's what I would focus on. And I would not get as distracted with all of the noise and just know that it all feeds into those three things. It's really good. So Sarah, um, I realize the the topic of gender in the workplace can be a sensitive topic. Um, you would be much more well-equipped to answer this than Patrick or I. So what, what advice or encouragement or direction would you give uh, our female leaders who are listening right now? There's such a uniqueness that women leaders bring. And I can't even articulate what that is, Steve. Like, it's like mm -hmm. that perspective is so important in life. And so I just want to encourage other women out there. The world needs what you have to offer. Don't feel like you have to soften your voice. Don't feel like you have to apologize or put disclaimers on your words. Like the world needs the perspective that you bring. And so... I just think that's so important. A lot of the women, a lot of the leaders on my team are women and the way that they have helped lead through COVID, we would have been incomplete without them. And so I can't even put my finger on what that perspective is. I'm just saying it is unique and it is needed. Just like if we didn't have men in the room, that would be missing too. It's like you need that well-rounded perspective mm -hmm. from your leaders to be able to make the best plans. And there's going to be some things that certain people have a better perspective on um, based on their background or whatever. And so I just think the world needs women leaders. That's good. Any uh, uh, resources that come top of mind um, that have uh, impacted you along the way in, in your leadership? You know, everybody learns a different way. So in terms of resources, there's a ton of people who love to read. There's a ton of people who love podcasts. I love to go sit down with other people. And I think one of the best resources out there is connecting with other people who are in your situation. So for me, it's like connecting with other women leaders. If you're looking for a great book, one of my favorites, um, and this is probably because obviously I am a high S as we talked about. And so a lot of my leadership journey has been working on um, how to be direct in my communication and catch uh, problems when they're small, you know, explode conflict at that level versus waiting for it to build up. So one of my favorite books has been Radical Candor. I read that a few years ago and it just really resonated with me. And I think it helped me do all of those things in a way that felt true to my personality style. I think when I look at other people and how they handle something like conflict, for example, or direct communication, if I just try to mimic the way they do it, it, it didn't feel authentic to me. You know, it felt like I was kind of like acting. Whereas sure. I feel like when I read this book, I was able to see doing these things actually helps serve people better and doing it in my own style. Me doing it in my own style is better than me trying to mimic other people. And so I've really, I enjoyed that book a lot. So Sarah, we love 
love this conversation. And I just have a few more maybe questions and then we're going to get into some fun stuff. But uh, I do want to ask you to help fill in, play a little game where you get to fill in a blank for me. Okay. So when we're talking about leadership, I'm going to do this phrase and I'm going to have you fill in the blank. So if blank is missing, a failure in leadership is right around the corner. What would you put in that blank spot? Customer focus. <laughs> okay. Okay. So share why that one out of all the choices, why that one? Okay. So if you go back and read the stories of Sears, in the beginning, Sears um, started actually as a catalog. So it was before we had brick and mortar stores um, that were as popular as today. You know, now it's very commonplace. But back then it was like this whole novel thing to have these catalogs and you would order things by mail and then they would come to you. And so it was really innovative and, and cutting edge. And then if you follow their story through the decades, there was a time where they actually built Sears Tower and a lot of their executives were no longer as connected with the customers. And so they were making these decisions based on what they thought, but they weren't actually connecting with their customers and understanding what their customers needed. And I feel like we are all at risk of that, right? We get really busy. Our team starts growing. We're not as on the front lines anymore. When I was on sales calls every day, I had a, a constant pulse of what was going on with my customers. I knew how they were feeling. I knew based on what the market was doing. I knew, you know, all those kind of trends and what the problems were and all that stuff. Well, you can imagine when I was on the phones, there's a big difference now when I have a team of 60 people and I'm not on the phones anymore and I'm not the one having those conversations day in and day out. You, you can start to lose touch if you're not careful. And then you're making these decisions that are not really based on your conversations with clients. And so how do you know that the decisions you're making are what is going to serve your client the best? I've heard that phrase, the, the higher you go, the more disconnected you actually get uh, in the organization at times, if you're not intentional with putting yourself in the right place and with having the right information given to you as a leader to know what is being experienced by your clients. So um, I, I couldn't agree more. We've covered some heavy stuff, which is good, uh, but I'm going to ask you a few Fun, rapid fire, either or type questions before we end. <laughs> that's all so, right. Okay. okay. I have a list of follow up questions. So, do I get to ask you guys some of my crazy oh, questions? She's ready. I'm, I'm oh, so ready. Yes. I have this okay. like notes document on my phone that I um are just crazy questions. So, I'm yes. in if you're in. I, I'm, I'm in. I, I, I've been in from the very beginning. Let's go. I'm excited. <laughs> you punked this. All right. So, I'll roll through these. And then you, you rapid fire us. And then feel free to add context if you want to any of these. So, all right. So Brussels sprouts or broccoli? Is it roasted broccoli or raw? Roasted. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Brussels sprouts. Okay. Gluten-free cupcake or 20 minutes of yoga? Cupcake. 100%. <laughs> episode of Friends or episode of The Office? Friends. Morning coffee or afternoon tea? Um, well, I'm a tea drinker, so I have to go with afternoon tea. Sigma Kappa Sorority or Iron Tribe? <laughs> <laughs> you guys are the worst. Oh my gosh. There's some reason. Okay, I'm going to have to go with Sigma Kappa because it was like formative years of my life. All right. Uh, just so everybody out there knows, I did some research. Sigma Kappa Sorority, that's what, uh, when she was in Arizona, I did some research. And then Iron Tribe is uh, a place that she works out at. Pinterest <laughs> or Instagram? Instagram. And never having to go grocery shopping again. Or never having to use the alarm again. 
Oh my gosh. Never having to use my alarm. You guys, I'm a bit, I love sleep. I love it. All right. Well, okay. Are you ready you, for you my question? Part, yeah. Okay. Here we go. Do you wet your toothbrush before or after you put toothpaste on? Up until I was about 17, I did it after. <laughs> but then I realized somebody told me that I was wrong. Are you a psychopath? <laughs> Am I a psychopath? <laughs> I've heard that's a sign. Like, you can jump in whenever. You don't. <laughs> yeah, there, there's something there. But you're going to find out a lot more about Steve after these questions. But go ahead. <laughs> keep going. Okay. Do you make your bed every morning? No. No. Okay. God bless no. my wife. Do you put on one sock and one shoe at a time or both socks and then your shoes? Both socks and then my shoes. Okay. So that feels normal. All right. Check. Um, and do you wear socks to bed? That's my final question. Patrick, go ahead. Uh, no. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> All right. I do. But because my feet are cold and because I'm a psychopath, apparently. <laughs> So there you have it. Well, I'm still I'm still stuck on the toothbrush wetting it. I'm like still thinking about that one, but there's a lot here about apparently about who we are, Steve, with these questions. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this before before we do the last question. I had uh, as a kid, I I don't remember having like fruity flavored toothpaste. It was always seemed so minty. So I thought if I put the water on top of the toothpaste, it would somehow like cool it down. <laughs> And it took me about 17 years to figure out that that didn't work. So, That's all right. That's a good anyway. story. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now the whole podcast is going to be marked by that. <laughs> I want to meet the person who puts on their sock and then a shoe and then the sock. And they, who is that? <laughs> I don't know. I tried it the other day and it felt very weird. This has been so much fun. Again, Sarah, I just want to say thank you. Last thing I want to ask you is what's the last thing that you could give to the listeners out here today from this podcast that you just want to leave them with one last mark. I'll tell you, I think the most important thing you can do is focus on the most important leading you'll do every day is leading yourself. So I know that we're all focused on developing our team and what needs to happen for our clients, but I just want to encourage everybody carve out time because the most important leadership you're going to have every day is your own leadership, is leading yourself. So how are you leading yourself every day? How are you challenging yourself? How are you kind of assessing what you've done that day and what to do differently the next day? I think that's going to be the most important thing you're going to do daily. Love it. Great insights. And again, thank you for your time. Yes, it was great to catch up with you guys. Thank you, Sarah. Okay, so takeaway and action item. There's a couple for both, so here they are. Takeaways. Number one, leaders aren't born. They're made. Don't let your gender, age, education, bank account, personality, or anything else become the excuse to not strive for excellence. Number two, letting go of who you thought you'd be for who you're becoming is difficult, but a healthy part of growth. Action items. Number one, start with yourself before going to others. Ask yourself the questions that Sarah stated. How are you pouring into and leading yourself? It's a simple truth, but it's not easy. You can't give what you don't have. If you run out of encouragement or strength or hope or optimism or insight, you won't have any of that for the people around you either. Second action item. What do you need to let go of? What do I need to let go of on this journey? Sarah talked about the concept of 
stay-at-home mom versus career and it being difficult part of her journey. So let's expand and apply that to where we are at, where you're at. What do you, what do I need to let go of in order to keep growth happening? Maybe it's something like how you thought you'd be further along career-wise. Maybe you're comparing yourself to others on social media. Maybe you need to let go of being the funniest or smartest person in the room so that someone else can get the spotlight. Or potentially, do you need to let go of some of those great volunteer opportunities that you just say yes to without thinking? Now, if you liked what you heard in this episode, I have a simple ask. Give us a written review in whatever platform you're using right now. We read all of them. It helps us reach more folks like you. And then send this episode to someone who needs a little wind in their sails. We have dozens of other conversations that will aid in your growth as a leader. Two main ways to get them. Go to ccbtechnology.com podcast. Or if you're listening on your phone, click that purple subscribe icon and you'll have access to all of the episodes just like magic. Well, I can't wait to be with you again soon, but until then, from all of us at CCB Technology, thanks for listening.